call is being recorded. Hello, and welcome to my show, Searching for Integrity. My name really is John Smith, and I'm searching for people with integrity. Why? Because our country suffers from IDD, Integrity Deficit Disorder. Today, we have as our guest, Mr. John Thibault, who is the author of How to Change a Law. John, are you there? Yes, I am. Good to, uh, good to be on the show, John, and I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. Oh, this is a, an outstanding topic that you have, uh, How to Change a Law. It's, uh, that's that's, that's quite, a, quite a job, but we're going to find out more about it. Um, let me add here that you are an award-winning author, novelist, screenwriter, 21 screenplays, three novels, a blog. Uh, what, what do you do for your spare time, John? <laughs> um, ski, uh, spend time with the family, help the kids with college essays, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but, it's, and, you know, we have pets, too, as well. So it's amazing that, um, you know, you, can, you try to fit things in where you can. So uh, I think a lot of people are busy, and um, I fall into the same trap. Well, I would think so. Um, looks like this this book, um, How to Change a Law, is is, is quite uh, is it's got a lot of readers. I'm looking here at the comments they've made and the reviews that you've received. You did a good job. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I've gone gone through some changes. It, it's funny to me because actually the reviews early on and for a long time were relatively positive, and then earlier this year. There were a couple where someone said, you could say all of this in uh, two paragraphs. And then another person commented that it was a complete waste of time, waste of money, etc. And um, I'm, I've thought about that because it really caused me to pause. And I realized, you know, in talking, and I'll, I'll go into this a little bit, <clears throat> but in talking to um, lobbyists, attorneys, politicians, members of Congress, etc., I realized that this is a really complicated topic. And my intent was to simplify the whole idea to empower individuals to be able to, you know, change laws or rules or policy at their uh, homeowners association or at city council or perhaps at the state. But definitely at the federal level, it's very, very complicated. I would think so. Uh, with all that stuff going on back and forth and back and forth and then forth and back, uh, uh, I wouldn't touch that with a with your 10-foot pole. Yeah, yeah. And that's what people hear the most of because that's what's on television, the media, et cetera. It's, you always hear about what's happening at the federal level, but that's actually the most difficult area and the longest uh, runway to to navigate you know, whereas if you take some of the basic principles and say, you know what, I'm going to try this at my local PTA meeting or at my local city council in a small town, chances are you're going to be more successful or have quicker success than you would at mm -hmm. a uh, higher level of government. Mm -hmm. uh, very, I'd say very much so. And we saw that uh, activated in the, um, I guess, Virginia and the uh, school board. 
that's mm-hmm. when they decided to, to take some action and they, uh, they've done well. Uh, yeah. But then, you know, you have the people that made some really, the politicians made some really bad statements uh, that they just couldn't overcome when it came down to the voting. Right, right. You know, it's interesting. When you have an impassioned individual or group of people who come together around an issue and they get very clear about it, they actually have a fair amount of power and they don't have to resort. And part of, you know, I wrote the, the book, How to Change Your Law, is so that people don't have to resort to, you know, violent insurrection, burning police cars or, you know, smashing buildings. I mean, the the intent of what you want to get done is to, it sounds boring, but to create policy, which is really to define what your future is going to be. Yes. And um, you, you have some words of wisdom here. Changing the law is hard work. And mm-hmm. if you want to change a law, you can either change the politicians or you can change the policy. Um, and that's, you know, changing, changing the politicians is impossible. Uh, because they are what they are, and they're probably going to always be that way. Yeah. My opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think, this, you know, I think politicians have good intent. So, you know, and I've seen this where, you know, I, ha- I have friends who run for office who've gotten into office, and I've worked on some local campaigns here as well. But what I've noticed is that often the intent of the individual who runs for office is very good. They're very clear on the, cu- the key issues in the community. They want to get something done. They want to be positive, et cetera. Then they move forward and they realize the level of entanglement that takes place once they are in office because they have so many competing interests. So they're going to have everybody from their colleagues who are saying, please sign on to my bill or please support me and vote for my bill because they're trying to corral uh, support as well. Um, and they have, you know, the companies and the trade associations who are also pressing for the kinds of things that they want to get done. Right, right. And, of course, uh, there's a lot of unions in, um, that, gosh, we've seen that raise their uh, heads again in terms of uh, the, what's the word I'm thinking of? They're, they're just so... They control. They're so controlling, uh, and it doesn't really help the matter it, at all. It only helps them. Right, right. I mean, every in a sense, everyone is self-serving, whether it's the individual pursuing a particular objective or a company where their interests need to be aligned around a particular industry or, as you said, with a union. That's exactly what happens. Right, yeah. You know, we don't have unions in in Texas. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, very, very, very much so. And, yeah. Um, and it and it works and, and it works fine. Yeah, everybody's happy here. Yeah, that's good. I'm looking at the 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 success you had with this. You've got such a long list of uh, accolades. Um, What's the one that you probably, is there one you've got or two that you cherish most? Well, there there are a couple of um, early um, comments from, uh, you know, different readers. <clears throat> and 
reviewers and you know we submitted the book for um review from a handful of people and got responses of you know i think the reader's favorite was one where it won a gold award those kinds of things so those are helpful but i think the purpose behind that is really just to um validate the book validate the thinking on it and also to make it available to more people so that they go oh this i mean this happens certainly with endorsements as well where someone will read it and say, if it has no reviews, no endorsements, and no awards, they think, well, nobody, <laughs> nobody likes it, right? However, if, you know, it's the same with a film, a film or a television show, whatever, we kind of follow the leader. So if we see something where we say, look, a thousand people reviewed this and they loved it, it's five stars and it won all these awards, we kind of think it's really good. But I can tell you, I've watched a lot of Academy Award winners and again, it depends upon the population. I've looked at some of those and thought, maybe they won the award, maybe they're great movies, but you know, for, I might not be the audience for that, so it wasn't that great. So, it, I, I guess they're used to, you know, find an audience and find the right people who support the idea. And I think that's really the the point of um, whether it's awards or endorsements. Right. Right. You, you described uh, the uh, the your hope for the book for people uh, in a way to reduce their political anxiety and hopefully get some relief from the frustration uh, yeah. that you might be feeling. Yeah. I actually I've given this a lot of thought. I actually think it's a little bit like um, I use the term political literacy. And there are a couple of folks who have read the book a while back, and they said, you know, in ninth grade, we used to be taught civics in high school. And some of those courses have gone away, and I think, in fact, a lot of them. So you see these opinion polls sometimes where they ask people how many uh, levels of government are there, and they have no idea, or who is their congressperson, they have no idea. So they, we know very little about how the government works. And that's probably not very helpful because the government um, really determines so much of what we do. So the the idea of saying, can we become politically literate, I think is important. It's interesting because I, I had run across something that Richard Dreyfus he has a uh, foundation supporting civics education. And in it, he talks about advocating for high school kids to get back into an understanding of how politics and policy works. And um, on a shorter version of this, I think financial literacy was a similar thing for us probably back in the 70s where not a lot of people understood that there were some, you know, tools available to the very, very wealthy, um, which included mutual funds and hedge funds and things we take for granted today. But back mm -hmm. in the 60s and 70s, you know, most people didn't have access to it. They were paying $100 a trade um, at Merrill Lynch for what later became a $9 stock trade. So mm -hmm. the switch from financial literacy, you know, to some of the same tools, I suppose, with political literacy is the same. What we're looking for is transparency, lower cost, better access, those kinds of things so that we can have better control over, um, you know, the government and what we want to get done. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully we'll see more and more of that. I was noting here that, um, you know, motivation, I guess, comes when people think about 
a law that's unfair or it's unjust, unjust. Um, I think, though, that once they maybe tackle it, they might feel, as your words are here, confused by the bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A great example, too, that many of us are familiar with would be what occurred in the 80s with uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And again, that came out as an impassioned cause where she uh, lost her daughter to a drunk driver. But it took 10 or 15 years. This is pre-internet. <clears throat> it took 10 or 15 years to be able to get the laws changed. And eventually what happened with that was she was so outraged by it and obviously never gave up on it. Um, and was able to corral other people to believe in the same cause who had suffered the same, as you said, injustice. And the, uh, at the time, the government said, we can't do anything until they got the, uh, the BAC content under control. So once they said, look, blood alcohol content has to come down, then we're going to have fewer drunk drivers on the road, we're going to preserve life, etc., and um, my understanding is what happened was it wasn't just some philanthropic idea that, oh, yeah, let's, let's just make this a safer place. Um, apparently, the federal government adopted laws <clears throat> and rules, but in order to get the states to comply, they had to actually change the uh, National Highway Traffic Safety Standards. So every state would then say, okay, we agree to reduce whatever it was at the time. Let's say it was 1.5 or something. Get it down to either 1.0 or 0.08, as it I think is mm-hmm. now in California. And in order to do that, they said, hey, look, if you don't do this, and then here's the threat, the, the, the lever that they had, the bully pulpit. If you don't do this, mm-hmm. we are going to reduce your state highway traffic funds by, you know, some large number like 500 million dollars or 300 million dollars and only then did the states comply and say oh okay you know like (laughs) yeah we're going to lose 300 million dollars or we have to make make a small change to the law that reduces the blood alcohol content and obviously she had success with it but that took a long time to do you know there's some my wife was telling me yesterday because she keeps up with um, Colorado, as you know, you lived there. Mm-hmm. Um, they had uh, quite. Uh, they've actually the the truckers have put Colorado um, on a disappearing as a disappearing state. Uh, hmm. It's because it's because a trucker in a on an icy one of those icy days coming down from. Um, uh, the tunnel, uh, you get um, all kinds of problems, and and the brakes failed on right. this trucker, right? And there apparently were uh, a lot of injuries. Uh, four four people died. Um, my wife was actually close to that area, um, and you know she was telling me that uh, uh, now they're looking at it from a standpoint. Of they've actually put the state, the whole state, they're, they're like you want to get a single trucker to drive a truck into and out of Colorado. Interesting. It is. I mean, talk yeah. about taking I mean, it in your own hands. This is it. Yeah. You're talking well, about it, coming over that pass by Breckenridge on Highway 70 west of Denver, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's yeah. It. yeah. That's the, Very, the tunnel. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. Well, what she told me was that uh, he was convicted and the judge gave him, I think, 105 years. Uh, which really? which wouldn't yeah gave him 105 years, and yeah. that's when that's when the other truckers said, okay, that's it. You know, if you you know play play like this, we're going to help you. Except you're going to have to find somebody else to bring bring your gasoline in, bring your bring right. your whatever it is. It's going to be critical if they don't see that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's overturned. But you're right. I mean, in every community, there are all kinds of issues. Um, and how they get resolved. I mean, one of the things that happens, as you know, is even when people vote for a particular uh, <clears throat> change, it can get overturned or stalled or delayed because it doesn't get confirmed by a legislative body, the Senate or a, an assembly. Or like you said, a judge can overturn something and say, hey, we're going to impose a particular fine that's egregious. Yes, yes. I, I don't know enough about it at this point i should probably look into it because she just told me about it yesterday but i was just couldn't couldn't that was a draw drop a jaw dropper for me yeah yeah no there um there's so many it's funny you end up focusing on issues that are important to you and usually they're important because you are personally affected by them and that's what people generally do and then what happens is if you're really serious, you're going to pursue it to the nth degree or you're going to find like-minded people to share it with. And people are certainly, they're doing this on Facebook and, and other social media platforms, but then they, they get, I guess, confounded by how do you get past that and how do you actually do uh, what successful advocates, activists, or lobbyists actually get done. And I've broken this down into kind of a simple three-part structure. As I said to you earlier, um, I've taken what I think is a very complex thing and tried to make it very simple. So the, the three parts basically are, um, it's kind of an A, B, C in reverse order, but C, clarify your issue, they build a coalition, and then appeal to a higher authority. And it doesn't matter if you're gonna write a letter, call talk radio, send a, an opinion letter to a major newspaper or write to your politician. If you don't have those three things lined up and in order, um, you are not going to succeed. Hmm. Hmm. Makes you wonder. They have, sometimes, I guess, emotions get in the way. Is that uh, something that would occur? Yeah, um, Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I've, I've talked to people about, because I've done a, you know, recently a number of radio and podcast interviews, and I said a lot of what we're trying to do is say, look, find a way to put together what you want to say in, you know, from the book, How to Change the Law, and condense it down into a very simple 10 to 15-minute pitch. Because if you have a meeting with a lawmaker, that's literally about as much time as you're going to get. So, what they want to hear is what's your issue, what's your position, what are your arguments to support it, what facts do you have that will actually give us some uh, understanding of the issue in a better way? Do you have any anecdotal um, evidence, meaning you know particular simple stories where someone is harmed or what can be gained, et cetera, from this? And then finally, what's your conclusion about what you would like me to do, which is the ask. So you're going to the politician, you're pitching all of this, 
and then saying at the end, hey, listen, I'd like you to sponsor this bill, or I would like you to vote for this law if it's already a bill, or I would like you to write a dear colleague letter. Those are the kinds of remedies that people have when they approach their representatives. Um, and often they waste that time by saying, hey, how's your golf game? What's going on? I saw you at the thing or complaining about the problem. Generally, the politician may already be aware of the problem or their legislative staff or director is already aware of the problem. And they're looking for people who can um, give more clarity to it and be very, very focused. And when I describe the steps that people go through or what happens in these short 10, 15-minute meetings, which, you know, I've been in these these uh, meetings, um, they they want to see that you're not wasting their time. They, they'll have 20 meetings a day. So by the end of the day, the mm-hmm. question is, will they remember the fact that your uh, your golf score was 70 or something, you know, it's, it's irrelevant to them. They're just like, where does this person stand in this issue and how many people do we have and what other constituents support this, you know, cause they're balancing 20 or 30 other issues all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, are you d- describing there your, the political persuasion platform? Yeah. I mean, that's another term that I have used for it. Yeah. You know, putting together a standard kind of one sheet where you you put this together. And it's almost like a debate. And one of the other things that people often overlook is they say, well, I'm not going to talk about the negative side. I'm not going to talk about the the arguments or the other side of the arguments that will weaken my position. But in reality, it's actually good to do that. So if you have a position – I mean, let's take a controversial one. Let's give a position on immigration and you say, hey, look, here's all the reasons why we should have a secure border. This is what we should get done. Uh, this is why we shouldn't have all these people coming in. We don't know who they are. They're going to vote. And you, you, can, you can bring up all the negative stuff about it and why that law should be enforced. But at the same time, <clears throat> if you have a discussion with a lawmaker and you've talked to the right person who is perhaps the chairman of the committee that oversees that, and you also say, but I understand the other side will say this, and then you need to, you know, bring that to the fore. So it shows that you have an understanding of the argument plus the rebuttals. And this is where it kind of gets into like high school debate. But in reality, by having an understanding of both sides of the argument, you're going to be in a stronger position and more convincing when you talk to a lawmaker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Describe a little bit for us how your your not a corporation but your your i lobby. Mm-hmm. Your i lobby yeah, solution. Idea, yeah, the idea was it started initially as a software platform, um, and then I think it was it, it seemed a little bit too complicated. And as I was pitching it to people and talking about it, I found I was explaining it over and over and over again. Um, you know, it would take forty five minutes to an hour. And because they were unfamiliar with it. I did find, however, that when I spoke to politicians, they got it within about a minute. They completely understood it, supported the idea, et cetera. And the same with lobbyists and everybody else who people hate saying that they're terrible people. (laughs) But I thought, what if, and again, go back to financial literacy, what if the average person had an understanding of how to change laws, how to deal with the government, how to deal with Congress, and really had a much clearer idea? So the idea was that the platform would act as a solution 
where people could actually debate and then bring things up and not call each other names, all of that. Um, and I think it uh, has been very, very slow taking off. And so I wrote the book as a means of describing it more fully and making that available. So we're really more on the educational side at this point. Mm-hmm. The, um, the crowd-funded lobbying that you probably engaged in, was that successful for you? No. I, again, I, I think the, um, the idea of crowdfunding a particular issue is fairly complicated because like with crowdfunding, people will say, look, I'm going to support a creative project um, and maybe a guy wants to write a comic book or make a trailer for a movie or do a special little project. And the numbers are relatively small, but at the end of the day, they end up getting a T-shirt or they end up getting some nominal gift related to the effort that they're putting forward. In this case, and this, this is interesting, you're talking about getting a benefit that in, I mean, this, this speaks to your whole show about integrity. Getting a benefit that is intangible, meaning that you have to be a little bit altruistic. So it isn't just about me. It isn't about, oh, I'm going to get a, t- if I get this law passed, I'm going to get a free T-shirt or, or I'm, going to get, I'm going to get something, right? The idea is I'm going to make a difference in the world. And that's really the key. And so the idea of crowdfunding it is saying, hey, look, The reason that corporations and trade associations can do this is because they simply say, hey, look, this is what we want to get done. We have the resources. We have um, a government. Most Fortune 500 companies have government affairs offices, and people don't realize that. So they they decide and they say, look, we're going to spend a half million dollars or a million dollars uh, on these lobbying efforts. And we might only get 30 or 40% of what we want because we're competing with so many other people. But at the end, that's just a cost of doing business. Um, for individuals, the idea was, and again, I had early uh, feedback from people saying, look, I'd put in $50 or something. <clears throat> and then if I, you know, if I knew that I could make a difference. And so if you had 20,000 people who put in $50, you'd have a million dollars and you could actually make a difference on a specific issue. So that's the challenge, making that all work. Right, right. John, would you be uh, good enough to uh, inform my audience and all the listeners tuning in uh, where they can find your books and uh, your other production? I guess you have so much of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, um, the book is called How to Change a Law. It's available on Amazon, and once a quarter, uh, we often do, you know, free giveaways. I did one at the beginning of December, and we had, you know, 800 people who got the free copy of the book. Um, So the idea is just to build up the readership and, you know, get more people to understand the idea. Um, And so, again, the book is called How to Change a Law. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the major uh, retailers, Um, and then the, uh, the website that has that and other books like The Political Game, Policy Snacks, and Sway uh, is also available on Amazon, but it's at ilobbyco.com. So that's ilobbyco.com or Amazon for How to Change a Law. Right. I'm so glad that you had uh, time enough uh, for me today and all my listeners 
uh, I know it's been insightful. Uh, it certainly has, has been. Good. Well, I'd love to chat about it and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, out of a, the, the audience, there'll be one or two people who kind of glom onto the idea and say, I'm going to use that and get something done with it. So the idea is to empower well, people. Yeah. Well, thank you, John. And um, I want to thank my listeners for tuning in to Searching for Integrity. And uh, so long and happy trails to all. <laughs>